Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. Today, we're talking about adversity. I asked Lucas to re-inspire me on what are some of the ways that he's seen great leaders walk through adversity and shine on the other side. And man, I walked away with some concrete steps on really what I could do when you're in the storm and you still have to run a company. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Leaderverse just as much as I did. I'm glad we got to do this today. Hopefully, maybe we'll even get to see Coach Drew as well. You know, Uh, when you're a big shot and a big deal, sometimes it's hard to get them on. (laughs) You had mentioned a few times this week, pain and suffering and adversity. Yeah. going through adversity. And so and this is something we've talked about in leadership for a long time. Like your success as a leader is uniquely tied to your ability to go through pain and overcome adversity. But I wanted to get specific, like yeah. re-inspire me on this, on this yeah. topic, because I, we stay, stay so busy setting up systems to make things easy in our lives, in our businesses, in our relationships. And so I expect ease all the time. And yet growth doesn't happen through pain. So re-inspire me. Tell me, what are some of the stories and specific things that you've seen great leaders do and have done yourself to walk through adversity? Sure. And, and, and you know, it's, it's in, it re-inspire you that I love, love that, love that phrase. Here, here's the thing that I think that every leader that has ever been forever, if you look through your life and look back at all the catastrophic setback, awful moments, I'm going to guess if you look reflectively, unless you're really close to the setback, that those were the worst moments, but they were also the best moments mm. that if you think about it, it it's just like, Wow. I, and I was thinking for me, you know, being a, a team leader of a Keller Williams office, walking in my f- first day, and I've been reflecting on those days quite a bit that after a decade, maybe even two decades of some leadership experience, I had an opportunity to uh, take over an office. And whenever a business entrepreneur says they have an opportunity, that is code for something is really jacked up. Yeah, if it, it wouldn't be an opportunity if something wasn't messed up. And so whenever you hear, I have an opportunity, it intrinsically means something's messed up. If it was perfect, it's a gift. It's not an opportunity. <laughs> and mm. so I, after a couple of years, a couple of decades of leadership, I walk into this office and, and I knew I was off my map when the first month I had people running up and down the hallways, cussing each other out. I had construction going on. So jackhammers, power saws uh, were constantly going on. The internet never worked. Copy machines always had dust in them from the construction. So agents are very uh, quick to express their opinions when they don't like something. The front desk that we had hired walked off the job because it was too stressful, just left their keys and a post-it note says, I can't handle this anymore. And my first month on the job in an office that had $60,000 of expenses, we had revenue of $16,000. Good. That math doesn't work. And I went to the person that was supposed, you know, that was new to the Keller Williams system and said, my gosh, this is crazy. And I remember being on the phone and this person was new. This person had not done the job before and was supposed to be my leader. And I remember calling one time and said, and, and he was going at me, what are you going to do about this? We're losing money and you're supposed to recruit agents and you're not recruiting any agents. I'm like, how can I recruit to this nonsense of this mess? And I remember saying, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. And the response was, well, you could say that again. And he hung up on me. 
that was a dark moment in my leadership journey. And yet I look back on it and I'm thankful he had no idea what to do because instead of being a resource, it forced me to become resourceful. It forced me to go out and it actually kind of made me mad. And I turned that moment of going home, being depressed, thinking I need to go back to sales. I need to quit. That became a leadership moment for me to say, okay, if my resource isn't going to help, I need to scratch, claw, kick, fight, whatever I needed to do to interview people, to get in front of people. And where can I find help? Because I didn't know how to recruit. My my recruiting training from, uh, from this leader was, here is the Houston Association Realtor uh, magazine. There's a bunch of real estate agents that are running ads in a column. That was my training to recruiting. <laughs> I had never recruited before. And I look back, Jesse, on that. And that pain, that discomfort, that agonizing of, oh my gosh, I'm terrible at this. I'm awful at this. I don't know. Actually, that moment became my greatest moment ever. Mm. It's kind of, we've talked about Gene Kranz in Apollo 13 and and mission control of saying, no, this isn't going to be our worst moment. This is going to be our finest moment ever. And when everybody else sees problems, leaders see opportunity. When other people see crisis, leaders say, I can make people's lives easier. In fact, when I I train uh, leaders now, and I train uh, people who run offices and run different things, they ask me what the job is. And I say, it's real simple. Make agents' lives easier. Hmm. If I can make somebody else, well, great leaders have to go into messes and make everybody's life easier. And I think that when when I think about this is when I face pain, my humans, my brain, your brain, we're wired to do one thing is get out of pain, exit, stage left. Let's not do the conflict. Let's not do the hard stuff. Sometimes we're forced to. But if you look historically, every leader is a great leader because they had a problem that no one else wanted to solve and they solved it. I, I, I can't think of one leader that was not completely defined by an obstacle or a pain or a personal challenge. And and on top of that, Jesse, the other challenge that we have is not only do we have organizational pain, we've got that internal voice that uh, I don't know how many leaders I, I consult with a lot of leaders right now. And they're, they're struggling with their own depression. They're struggling with their own anxiety. They're struggling with their own failed relationships. They're struggling with their own uh, lack of bank account, you know, of, of capital, and they don't want to talk about it because they're the leader. There's leadership loneliness. Yeah. And in the midst of um, our current, if you buy into the command and control model of leadership, you have to hide that stuff because the skipper never admits weakness. Mm. So we have organizational crisis. Then we have internal crisis. And how do you manage that? And it, for me, it's all, what am I going to make this moment mean? I'm going to either make this my a, a, a stumbling block or it's going to be a stepping stone. It's going to be a setback or it's going to be a setup. It's going to be, it's just how I choose to see it because wherever focus goes, energy flows. Mm-hmm. So if I want to focus on how awful and how impossible, then it is. I think that's the question. That's the perfect question to ask yourself when you're in the crisis, what will this what will this moment mean? That in my mind, when you said that, I automatically feel better about my about my problem, and I'll call and I'll call it a problem because this way, as a leader, I can be a problem solver, and I'm not just a person in crisis, right? I, I become a problem solver. I yeah. love that. 
Well, and if, if you want to do it in a, a mental model, there's a story model that I'm, I'm teaching a lot right now. So if you were to draw a circle and at 12 o'clock, put something happens. We have no control over that. At two o'clock, but I have uh, I have a reaction, and that initial reaction is a summation of all my years of history and experience and programming up to that moment of time. And then at four o'clock, we form an opinion or make a judgment. The judgments are made. This is good. This is bad. I like this. I don't like this. At six o'clock, we make up a story. And when I say a story, I'm talking about we we develop a belief system. Everybody is where they're at because of their BS, their belief system, right? So we're all full of BS. At eight o'clock, we seek evidence that our story is correct. And at 10 o'clock, we create a reality. And once we create a reality and we label something, we kill off all other possibilities. Here's the secret in that, uh, you know, that simple model of two, four, six, eight, ten. It's the five o'clock formula. And at five o'clock, we simply insert one simple question. What else could this be? So I have something happens. I have a reaction. Uh, this morning, uh, driving here, is, I had to go run an errand, and somebody literally started creeping over into my lane and cut me off. Something happened. I have a reaction. Oh, my gosh. And at first, I was like, oh, what a oh, wait a second. What else could this be? Maybe that guy has to go to the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he has a woman. His wife is in labor, and he's in a hurry. Maybe he just uh, received the worst news of his life and he is deeply saddened and he's not totally alert to the traffic around him and he's counting on people like me to be alert on his behalf. Wow. Now it's, I now have a narrative in my head of sympathy, of empathy, of not feeling violated, right? Because I said, what else could it be? When I'm in judgment, Jesse, when a leader is in judgment, there's only one thing possible and that's your current opinion, your current emotional state. Mm -hmm. If I could get the five o'clock formula down and focus in on what else could it be, now I'm creating and there's unlimited possibilities of what it could be. I find for me that 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 that's the subject of my uh, my soon to come book, Uncaged Leadership, is how I just said it out loud. First place to announce this book is right here on the Leaderverse. So, <laughs> and so, however, it's I am a leader with built-in belief systems, and I have to constantly reframe them because if I have a disempowering belief, I could be right, but it's just disempowering. Mm -hmm. I want to adopt empowering mindsets and belief systems and stories. And to complicate things, I'm leading organizations, and they all have the same thing going on too. They have belief systems and firmly held realities that may empower them or disempower them. My job as a leader is to help myself reframe and help my people reframe and usually what surfaces a belief system is a crisis or pain. It just told me what I believed about a certain incident. That guy shouldn't have cut me off today. That person shouldn't have betrayed me. That person shouldn't have been acted that way. Mm. What else could it be? This is a, this is such a good, for, I'm visual. I had to write it down to look at it, but I want to, so you're telling me that when anything happens at 12 o'clock, something happens. Come two o'clock, I have a reaction to it. My natural reaction, non-thinking reaction. By four, by four o'clock, I've formed my opinion on it. By six o'clock, I've told myself a story and set up my belief system. This is what I believe. This is what happened. By eight o'clock, I'm already looking around for more evidence to back me up on that. 
And by 10 o'clock, that is solidified in my reality. Well, Unless I rewind and I go back to five o'clock and I ask what else happened. That's genius. Well, what else? Not what else happened? What else could what it else be? Could it be? Yeah, it, it's uh, I think of Jerry Maguire. And you, you remember that scene of Jerry Maguire where it was basically like a club of women who had been burned by men gathering together and drinking wine and just talking about how bad men were. That whole cycle, well, you can see the cycle no matter where, where it's at. It's something happened. They had a reaction. Ouch, that hurt. Oh, this is a bad thing. Oh, you know what? Men must be the problem. All men universally must be the problem. And so in order to find evidence, what did they do? They formed a club of other women with the same story. Like, oh, all men are jerks. Oh, all men are. No man is worth it. Right. And they create a whole reality. They will crowd out any other voice that says, I don't think all men are jerks. Maybe a few of them here and there. Well, what do you know anyway? You're young and you're stupid and naive. Just wait. You'll find out that all men are jerks. Right. And we could do this with any topic. I mean, honestly, and I don't want to open the Pandora's box. We could do this with politics, racism. We could do this with any kind of discrimination. We could do this with any kind of, we could do this with. We can call it what it is. It's 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 confirmation bias at ten o'clock. It's confirmation bias. So you're, and and we do this naturally. Like no one is inherently evil or wrong by doing this. This is how our our psychology is set up as human beings. Every single one of us, we naturally look for evidence to support our belief systems. We do. What's happening? Even listening to this podcast, or if anybody's on Facebook Live, is people are like, "Oh my gosh, I've always thought that," and so they're like. We're now evidence to support the, th- and then there's other people like, oh, what do these two yahoos know? And they're off the call because, and they're going to go look for evidence that what we just said is not true. And I'm okay either way, because it's just your story. And I'm really careful about the word story because people will use that, weaponize that truth. It's like, oh, that's just your story. No, 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 no. That is really real. And the word reason why I use the word story is because I think it's empowering because if it's just a story, I could rewrite that story. Mm-hmm. like I, I was coaching somebody uh one time and they're like they're really stressed and they're really overwhelmed and like okay let's work on your story like this isn't a story this is real i'm like yes i know <laughs> and what else could it be and this particular time that person like oh maybe i just have a desire for more oh that's really good does a desire for more help you empower you or does being overwhelmed empower you Oh, so you have a vision of life looking differently than it looks. Awesome. That's really powerful. So when I get into creation and when I get into that creative mode and I'm starting to think what else is possible, the world literally, Jesse, is filled with unlimited possibilities. And I'm going to adopt, I'm going to adopt a belief system and a story that empowers me to impact the lives of many instead of disempowers me. Because if I say you're a jerk, guess what? I've labeled you. Now you're a jerk. And it's not about right or wrong. It is about what's going to empower us to impact people. And so when we talk about pain, when we talk about crisis, when we talk about conflict, when we talk about uh, things not going the way that we intended them, a setback, a disappointment, I would encourage everybody, learn to just, well, what else could this be? And if you're so trapped in your current opinion, you may need to hire a good coach or even a therapist because sometimes a lot of traumatic events cause us to frame things in such a way and it causes us to be stuck mm-hmm. and it, it's just really really unnecessary i i think this is you could tell i'm very super passionate about this because i think leaders unwittingly become victims to their own belief systems 
and it's just not helpful. It's not helpful to them. It's not helpful to the people that they lead. Um, and if I, I think that there's several things is pain is usually a pointer to where I could be challenged. Mm-hmm. Right. And pointer to where we can be challenged. I had to write that down there and in redefining pain, um, it pointing us in the correct direction. It's, it will pivot us in the right direction too. Yeah. yeah I just heard Phil Jones, who's the uh, author of the book, knowing exactly what to say, say this. And he said, you know, and, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm glad somebody said it out loud. He says, I am so, he didn't say these words, but it was basically, I'm tired of people just trying to put an inspirational spin on things and it doesn't work. So, you know, fear is just false evidence appearing real. And he goes, no, fear is F everything and run. He mm-hmm. said, when you're, when you're full of fear, it's like, that's really real. So don't patronize me that this is false evidence. It's like, no, this is true. I am feeling it. It's just now the question is, does that push me toward my vision for my life? Does that push me toward my destiny or does that repel it from me? And if you're in leadership, just welcome to the world of conflict. If you're in leadership, welcome to the world of internal pain and organizational pain. If you're in the middle of an industry that is changing, change is painful all the time, unless you're the initiator of uh, the change. And if you're the initiator of the change, you're the only one that's not in pain. Your people are in pain if you initiated change, right? Right. So people who say, I love change is like, I love it. I love that you love pain. If you're going to lead more than two or three people, they're going to be in pain because of your need to change. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that leaders are well-served to not just reframe pain so that it's airy-fairy, inspirational, soundbite leadership stuff. But if we're going to have the leader versus founded on this thing, let's have a nitty-gritty real conversation about leadership. Yeah, don't don't do airy-fairy. But what else could it be? And just start, you might have to start ludicrous, you know, when, when you're reframing something. It's like that guy yeah. pulls me off. Okay, well, maybe he has to go to the bathroom. Well, that's a little silly. It's probably not true. But you know what? It starts the creative juices. Yeah, well, I, maybe it is. Maybe he did it. I remember, Jesse, and this is, I use this all the time when I talk about prospecting calls because, you know, I don't know too many people who say, I love prospecting that started <laughs> out saying, I love prospecting, right? And I remember um, just tricking my head into saying, if I got negative Nelly on the, and no offense to any Nellies out there, grumpy Greg or negative Nelly, if you're Greg or Nelly, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, <laughs> but if I got them on the phone, Jesse, I would just simply say, they would yell at me, do their bit. And we'd hang up and I'd say, oh, they must not have breastfed long enough as a baby. And I would, <laughs> I would, I, that, that's what I would do. I would laugh about it because it wasn't about Greg or Nelly. By the way, was that true? Probably not, but could it be true? It might have been. I don't know, but it helped reframe it for me. So I didn't abdicate my power to negative Nelly and Greg. Greg. Here's the thing, Jesse. If someone or something could ruin your day, they just became God of your life. (sighs) They just became Lord of all because now they're controlling your emotions and internal state. Don't abdicate your power. Never abdicate your power. Get yep. your personal agency back. And for me, it helps just to simply say, what else could this be? Mm-hmm. I love that. That helps me so much. That's perfect. You know, this podcast is, um, it's my coaching session. It's uh, its my therapy session with usually two of the greatest leaders in the world, but I got one. I got one today. <laughs> so excited. 
I'm well, so excited for it. There, there'll be other weeks when you just have Drew, so you'll, you'll, you'll. <laughs> well, and, and you're also, I mean, Jesse, real honestly, you're, you're the person who reads psychology books, so I don't have to. You, right? And it's, yeah, yeah, it's not just a, a tagline. It's like, there's a wealth of wisdom in the three of us that, um, that, you know, we're, we're learning. And that's, I love the fact that the leaderverse is not set up to be the expert. The leaderverse is set up to just to be a catalyst of conversation. And I'm hoping that if anybody reaches out to me that as they listen to this or hear this, um, you understand real clear, John Maxwell may be the expert on leadership. We're just, so we're just co-journerers. Is that right? Journeyers? We're on this journey too, learning and leading and messing up and getting better. And and I, d I don't want to be the soundbite leadership expert. I want to be the person who's on the journey of learning how to get better every day. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask the, I want to ask tough questions, the questions yeah. that we weren't allowed to ask before. Yeah. So I, <laughs> if, if I'm thinking of the leader that's out there right now to kind of your original question, who is in pain, who the organization isn't going correctly, where things are falling apart and it's not as simple as they thought it would be. I remember Diana Kokoska who just put out a book, um, what, what, Becoming More, I think is the name of her book. I think she, you're correct. Yeah, she she used to say uh, that leadership is amazingly simple and exceptionally complicated or something of that nature. It was like, it's, leadership is the greatest paradox on the planet. It is simple and it's easy and it's excruciatingly, excruciatingly complicated and difficult at the same moment. So if there's leaders listening to this is number one, get in touch with your vision. Know what is it that you want? Sometimes crisis reveals, I don't want that. I don't want to pay this price for that. But what's on the other side of this, right? What is on the other side of this complication, this pain? I think of Winston Churchill with um, you know Nazi Germany coming in, and Neville Chamberlain, his predecessor, says, "No, we've got to negotiate. Stay out of war at all cost." And Winston said, "Heck, no! You can't negotiate with evil. We're going to have victory at any cost. Victory by sea, victory by air. We're going to have victory at any cost. We're going to win. We're going to we're going to battle because this tyranny is is too great to negotiate with." Right? Mm -hmm. He had a vision of what's on the other side, so he was willing to send a country through pain. I'm listening to a book uh, about uh, a team of rivals about Abraham Lincoln and his, uh, yeah, the people who ran against him. Uh, I can't remember all their names, but he actually took all of his opponents and his rival and put them on his cabinet. He wanted people who didn't think like him because he knew slavery was too big of an obstacle just to put yes men around him. Yep. Brilliant leadership moves. So for the leader that's out there, stay in touch with your vision. Number two is I would in the middle of your emotional tilts and the times when you're just frustrated, discouraged, um, upset, angry, mad, whatever it is, whatever the emotion is, is find a safe coach, a therapist. Do not go to a buddy because a buddy's job is to comfort you, not challenge you. But I'd go to people who could, who could just simply say, hey, listen, what else could this be? Let me give you perspective. What else could this mean? And then number three is knowing that life just handed me this pile of caca. I could either let it be a pile of caca in my backyard or I could till it into the soil and it become it actually becomes the fertilizer that causes ex exponential growth. I think of friends that I know who've gone through divorces. I think of friends who I know who've gone through bankruptcies. I think of friends who I know who got screwed really badly in business. And they either get stuck or 
that moment helps them become better. So you become bitter or you become better. And that is completely your choice. No one else could do that. A mic drop again. So good at that. How do you do well, that? Well, here's the thing is like, I appreciate you saying mic drop because I like that, <laughs> like that affirmation. But the truth is, gosh, I wish somebody would have said that to me as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just was so scared and I didn't even realize I had stories going on. I didn't even realize that it's funny. It's like accolades. I respond exactly the same. It's the same circle that you said, something happens. I have a reaction. Ooh, this is nice. I like this. Oh, I like the attaboys. Right. I do the same nauseating, same cycle every single time. Bad things, rejection, conflict, uh, having to have a difficult conversation. I viscerally feel it. Uh, if I get the look from my spouse, it's like, it's, I am so programmed. It's autopilot. And sometimes that autopilot serves me. And a lot of times it doesn't. And I wish somebody would have just said, Hey, listen, this is not, this is not all that could be. So if you could create anything, what else could it be? Because here's looking back on my greatest successes. All I needed was time and a different perspective. Those are the two missing ingredients. If I have a different perspective and give me a little bit of time, I could pull out of any mess. And then honestly, the mess becomes your message. Mm -hmm. So just know that, that whatever your test is now is your testimony. Whatever your mess is right now could be your message. Just don't abdicate your power. Thank you, sir. Lucas, I, I appreciate you. Appreciate you too, Jesse. The uh, so we recorded this live in the um in the leaderverse Facebook group. Uh, to y'all listening, invite your invite the great leaders and the people that you lead that you want to that you want to hear this. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast, but it comes out every um it comes out every Thursday morning. But you got it here first. There you go, got it here first, Jesse. Good to see you, sir. Have a great trip. Talk to you soon. Bye.